Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Serbian-American inventor Nikola Tesla produced hundreds of inventions and ideas which have changed our lives in profound ways, ranging from alternating current to wireless communication to remote control. Tesla's alternating current defeated Thomas Edison's direct current, but Edison is celebrated in America. Tesla is relatively unknown. Where he is remembered, he is known as the man who invented the 20th century, but also as an early archetype of the mad scientist. Well, Vladimir Pistolo's biographical novel, Tesla, A Portrait with Masks, covers the arc of Tesla's life from his boyhood in Serbia to the war of currents with Edison to his later years when he lived in poverty in the New Yorker Hotel. Vladimir Pistolo has published 11 books of fiction. Tesla, his first book to be translated into English, won the 2008 uh, Nin Literary Award, the most prestigious award in Serbia, and has appeared in 10 languages. He teaches at Becker College in Massachusetts. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, taking the time to, uh, to be with us. I'd like to start with uh, maybe just a thumbnail sketch of... Uh, some of the, uh, the inventions which Nikola Tesla was uh, responsible for? Well, you mentioned some of the uh, very important ones. I think that the, the, the most important is one that he actually uh, did not have time to actually realize, and we don't know whether it was possible actually to do it, which is a wireless transmission of energy. He believed that you can pump the, the Earth, the planet Earth, with the oscillations that are going to, to increase and that could, in theory, be collected at any part of the Earth. And then they could be used by these uh, uh, wirelessly attuned uh, cars and trains and, uh, and planes. And that is actually the solution to the, to the pollution and all the kinds of problems that we have with energy. It was a grandiose idea. If that, uh, if that really worked, we would not have had a problem with global warming to, to start with. Yeah, amazing. He, so he believed this was actually possible. He believed that it was possible, and he believed that he was the only man that can do it. Of course, his, uh, his inventions uh, have been pirated so many times that he developed a secret code in which he was, which was not a usual mathematical language, in which he actually um, uh, kept... Uh, his uh, invention secret. So even after his death, uh, everything that he invented was not uh, recovered. But this is a grandiose project. And something else, um, he's, uh, he, he is uh, an inventor of radio, according to the decision of the Supreme Court of the New York State and the Supreme Court of France. Hmm. So, so not Marconi. Uh, not Marconi, actually. That was the, you mentioned the Battle of the Currents against mm -hmm. Edison that Tesla won. But there was another uh, so-called radio controversy, the second great battle of his life that he more or less lost, although there were two Supreme Court decisions in his favor. Now, the the uh, Battle of the Currents, of course, uh, I, I think if people know of Tesla, they know of this. He, he's the inventor of alternating current, Edison champion direct current. There are a lot of advantages to alternating current. Alternating current won out. Uh, yes, at that moment, Tesla had also Westing, Westinghouse company backing him. And actually, it was, um, it was um, uh, how to say, you know, like it was circus-like in, in, in some aspects because Edison was fighting very hard against that. 
and he organized uh, uh, troops that were going through small American cities, and the street urchins would uh, would catch the dogs and sometimes some other animals, and they uh, these animals would be electrocuted, and the conclusion uh, was they have they have been vesting housed. And when I when I tell my friends, many of my American friends about Tesla, the hardest thing for them uh, to forgive Edison uh, for for a dog lover is these innocent dogs that have been sacrificed as the as a part of the so-called Battle of the Currents. Yeah, that that's amazing. That they were Westinghouse. It was it was said. they were Westinghouse, wow. but Tesla responded in his own way. He actually had to prove that it was safe. And he calculated that if you use extreme high-voltage currents and let them through your own body, uh, uh, it is harmless. So he organized scientific performances of his own. He would let enormously high-voltage currents through his body. Nobody has ever repeated that, although we know that it is safe. And his hair would stand uh, upright, and his, uh, his head would uh, change into a fountain of the sparks. And uh, his his body and his uh, clothes emitted uh, slight halos after that. Wow! And th- this is only just a part of the of the battle of the current. Yeah, I wonder if we could talk about that for a little bit. There's a fascinating chapter, chapter fifty one, where you describe one of his performances. He had slicked back hair, didn't he? So that even more amazing that his hair stood on end. Um, exactly. So he would he would allow this tremendous amount of voltage flow through him so he he would describe what would happen he would glow i guess he would really glow and there was a um, a lot of in his biography that um, resembles the the biography piece of the saints he was an unusual scientist that uh, would get his inventions in a moment of revelation and uh, so this is just an, another kind of thing that adds to that myth of a very very unusual man mm-hmm. I think people, when he would do these demonstrations, would yell out, "He's on fire!" or "He's." You know, they would be worried. <laughs> it, was, it was really. It was in, in some ways, it was a wonderful thing to behold, but um, it has never been repeated. And he has been asked whether he used any animals before he used the electricity on himself. And to his credit, he said that that no, he didn't have any guinea pigs. He was his own guinea pigs hmm. in his experiments. Now, this this battle of the currents, that's just one example. Uh, there's a lot of showmanship that needs to go into this, a lot of marketing, right, publicity. You, you're, you're trying to win the public over so that you can then sell your version of electricity. Absolutely, and for that, um, I, I kind of mentioned when, when Tesla was fighting against uh, Marconi, he didn't have a, a, a big institution behind him, like uh, Westinghouse, uh, Westinghouse Company, and they have been doing all, all kind of stuff, uh, selling their system to the individual owners of the mines and so forth, making journalists interested in that, all kind of stuff that we also do today when we want to sell a product. As a part of this, I think this is somewhat known, Edison wanted an alternating current to power the electric chair when you're going to, when you're going to uh, you know, uh, execute people, so that, I guess, AC would get a bad reputation. Absolutely. Listen, it is not really possible to prove 100% that he was behind that, but it was very likely that through his connections, he made the New York State interested in using the alternating current in executing people, and... Um, 
William Kemmler was the first person who was executed like that. And uh, as late as the 1950s, Rosenbergs were, were, you know, another famous case, they're executed on the electric chair. So it was from these innocent dogs who were sacrificed in these street performances to actual people who died on the electric chair as the part of the Battle of the Currents. Hmm. What if you talk about uh, the... the how Tesla won this battle of the current. It's pretty spectacular. He, he powered, uh, uh, well, for one thing, the the uh, Chicago's World Fair in, in 1893 with an alternating current. That was, that was one of the moments that was very, very important because that was the moment of transition. America up to that uh, moment was kind of a rural society looking to Jeffersonian model of the of the yeoman farmer as an ideal American. But this is kind of the pearl gate through which America entered the modernity. And it was uh, the Chicago Fair of 1893 was known for many things. For uh, for uh, one thing was that America was settled at that moment. So it was from 1492 to 1893, the settlement of the continent was going on. And Jefferson believed that it would take 200 generations to to populate the Louisiana Purchase. It took more or less three or four. And that was also the moment of the Congress of the World Religions. And uh, Tesla uh, was doing one of his performances that we just talked about, you know, glowing and turning into a fountain of of sparks. And what is really interesting is that uh, uh, Baum's famous Wizard of Oz, was inspired partly by him seeing the World Expo as a as a young uh, as a young kid, and it was that world of eternal light, um, as opposed to the to the flickering gaslight or a candle in the in, in the farms. And people saw the world that was that they didn't believe it was possible. But the real wizard of Oz, the made the man who made it possible, was Nikola Tesla. And I like thinking about Tesla as a prototype of the Wizard of Oz. And this is one reason, I suppose, why some call him the inventor of the 20th century. Well, uh, so many things, because uh, the, the uh, alternating current enabled people to produce uh, energy in Niagara Falls and to use it in New York City. Before that, it was only you had to have a power station some 10 miles uh, away from, the, from where you use it. So basically, everything that we use these these uh, uh, subways, you know, and uh, and all of these trains and all of these windows, Times Square, uh, Las Vegas cascades of, of of light, all of these are products of of, of Nikola Tesla. We are talking with Vladimir Pistolo. He is uh, the author of a biographical novel, which uh, I believe came out in uh, two thousand eight or so. Now it's uh, translated into English. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's it's a bestseller in in uh, Serbia and in many areas of the world, and uh, now uh, getting uh, great reviews in uh, English speaking areas. And uh, this is a fascinating man, Nikola Tesla. The uh, the biographical novel is called Tesla: A Portrait with Masks. We'll take a break now. When we come back, more with Vladimir Pistolo talking about Nikola Tesla. I want to. Uh, uh, when we come back, we'll ask the question, uh, if Tesla won the Battle of the Currents, why is Edison so much better known in America? Also, we'll take uh, take you back to his boyhood in Serbia. Very interesting family. For example, his father is a, an Orthodox priest, a very interesting man in his own right. 
and uh, the effect that uh, the death of his brother Danilo had had on him. Many other interesting facts about uh, Nikola Tesla, the inventor of alternating current, and uh, many other things. Some call him the uh, inventor of the uh, modern world. More following the break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and by USU Dining Services, proud sponsor and facilitator of the Chef Cook-Off and fundraiser Spice on Ice, featuring USU's culinary team as well as chefs from around the valley, Tuesday, March 24th. Leonard Slatkin on the curious art of conducting. It's a little bit like the coach of, say, a football team. That person isn't on the field and yet they're the one that designs how the particular sequence is going to go. Coach Slatkin and the Detroit Symphony Orchestra in concert on the next Performance Today from APM. Monday morning at 11 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're talking about Nikola Tesla. He produced hundreds of inventions and ideas which have changed our lives in profound ways, ranging from alternating current, uh, which allows electricity to be produced uh, many miles away and and then shipped to wherever it's needed. Uh, Of course, we uh, just depend on that. It's uh, sort of the background to our lives. That defeated Thomas Edison's direct current. And uh, Nikola Tesla is responsible for wireless communication, remote control, many other inventions. But in America, at least, Edison celebrated. Tesla is relatively unknown. We know him perhaps now as the, uh, his name is on the uh, electric car company, which is uh, famously headed by Elon Musk. Uh, he is on uh, currency in Serbia, and uh, his name is on uh, an international airport there, I believe. But uh, we're going to talk about this, uh, get back to his uh, boyhood and... Uh, very interesting man. He he came to his inventions in a very different way from Edison. Interesting to compare and contrast the two men. And we're talking with Vladimir Pistolo. His biographical novel, Tesla, A Portrait with Masks, covers the arc of Tesla's life. Uh, so uh, I'm wondering, uh, maybe may we could just uh, have you answer this question. Uh, is, you would have thought, or I would have thought, that uh, if you had the battle of the currents, Tesla's one out. We use alternating current. That's just one example. Why is he relatively unknown? Why is Edison so much more celebrated? Well, um, well, I think there is a couple of reasons. Tesla uh, really did not have a, a, an institution behind himself. He was uh, made uh, an, an offer by Westinghouse to join Westinghouse and to be a well, senior ranking engineer or a partner. But he said he was really an ultimate individualist. He could not work under the confines of the institution in an organized way. He said that his, uh, his uh, life power was somehow blocked, while when he was independent in his uh, uh, lab, his ideas came like Niagara. He was just kind of a man like that, and for these battles, for these serious battles in the real world, you need to have an institution. And Edison had his own institution. He was later uh, bought by J.P. Morgan, but that's just another even greater institution that stood behind him. And then in the 1920s, around World War One, actually propaganda was invented in a proper time. In a proper way, it was kind of related to advertisement, but it became different. And there was a propaganda campaign to to kind of wrap Edison in a a flag and to make Edison in what he he was. While 
of tax one alone that he was an unassociated by institutions and unmarried. He didn't have these personal ties, was kind of going into oblivion a little bit. To answer the second part of your question, Edison never uh, wanted to invent anything that he could not sell. Um, I mean, according to his own words. And he always worked by trial and error, endless trial and error. While that with Tesla, the inventions, I think if, if anybody forbid him to invent, he would still invent, even if he went to jail for that, because it was a driving force. What they call a call in Catholic Church or whatever, it was not just a profession, it was a calling for him, and uh, um, uh, he, he could not do uh, uh, differently, and he had his inventions in a flash, almost as if he went out of the Plato's cave and saw the real kind of realm of ideas and then drew them down to earth and and apply them. Well, it's an interesting contrast, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> with, you know, with, with maybe lessons, <laughs> maybe you can take more lessons from Edison. You, you just plug away trial and error and you, and you can you can achieve things, whereas Tesla's method was much more intensely individualistic. It was kind of it was kind of mystical. It really was, and there is a lot of mystical, but then didn't he come to the to the country of individu- individualism, which is the mm-hmm. United States? Yeah, so uh, he was he was in the in the right place. I just wanted to add something else. He had another fortune or a misfortune. He was thinking that he could he should do only the things that only he can do in the in the world. If anybody else can do it, he was happy to leave it to these uh, other people, and. Um, uh, that is that is how he how he lived his life. So he would I understand it. Uh, he, he would, Tesla would see flashes of light. He'd sometimes feel a, a disorientation. It really was sort of a mystical process with the, where he would come to his, uh, you know, his inventions. Uh, it was, and um, in addition, that that was um, uh, kind of a trait that he shared with his brother, and he had it early on. Something like a vizier of light would fall over his eyes, and he would find himself in a different real, in that kind of surrounded by that golden color. It is interesting that the color of gold in the, in the Middle Ages was the color of halos, and it, it signified infinity. So he was, in a way, metaphorically speaking, in the realm of infinity, when he was getting these these inventions. Um, I don't want to, 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 to make it totally mystical. He was also a fantastic mathematician, and he was calculating all kinds of all the time. But in a way, he was living in the real, realm of forms. And something else that I, that I forgot to, to add, he, the moment he would understand the theoretical principle of anything that he was working on, he would lose interest. He was not necessarily doggedly pursuing that to the realization because it was not longer uh, no longer his thing. He was he was oriented to a newness of the of the discovery. Interesting. So once he'd had the the breakthrough, then he lost interest. Almost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you could uh, tell me a bit about the man. Maybe beginning with physical description. He was a tall man, right? Slender. He was a slender, very good-looking man, greyhound-like, and um, all of his uh, um, enormously resilient and uh, almost sick throughout his life. But there was some uh, different resilience about him, very nervy, really like a greyhound, very well-dressed in that manner of the, of the 1890s. 
uh, uh, and uh, he called himself sometimes uh, the best dressed man on the Fifth Avenue. <laughs> he was a member of a high society uh, during the, the the time of his peak, which is all the way up to World War One. He was the member of the Upper Four Hundred, which is four hundred people who could fit in the salon of Lady Astor. He knew practically everybody. He knew uh, Rudolf Wilson. He knew Theodore Roosevelt. He knew Mark Twain. He knew uh, all the prominent people of his own time. So, um, and uh, he enjoyed uh, the society. And apparently, dressing well, he he went to Delmonico's. He lived in Waldorf Astoria. But all of that to the point, because when he felt that he was actually losing time and that too much of his time was draining from his inventions, he would go back uh, to his lab. And uh, he was working 16 hours a day or more because he was blessed or cursed again by an ability to sleep only two hours a day. Four hours would be a very long sleep for Nikola Tesla. Wow, amazing. That's just amazing. How did he deal with, with, with fame? You just talked about the, you know, sometimes he felt time was being sucked away. How, how did he deal otherwise with fame? Um, I, I think many times he would, he would say that uh, he did not care about fame and that he did not care about money. It is really interesting he didn't care about money. And many people said if he, if he earned more and it was possible on many occasions for him to earn more, what would have happened? I think that he would have invested all of his money again back into his projects. Before it was before, the federal government was really funding the scientists so generously, which was the development of the Cold War. Before that, it was the private investors, industrialists, and so forth. So he really did not care about money. But um, I, I don't think that he didn't care about fame. I think that he enjoyed being in the limelight, and he, he played the role quite well. Uh, so uh, I, I did think that uh, I do think that he did care about fame. Hmm. I wonder what what did he he worked for Edison right for a time. Mm-hmm. What what did he think about Edison? You know the person to person man to man. In the beginning, he was he was thinking about Edison very highly. I think that psychologically, I was I was trying. You know, my my novel is not just a biography. I was trying to present the man from the inside. The biographies uh, present just the facts, but I was trying to for the reader to feel. Uh, Tesla's ups and downs and, and his obsessions and his very unusual inner life. And um, in the beginning, I think he was very uh, impressed by Edison. Um, and uh, he was, I think that that uh, potentially, Edison was a replacement for, for his father. His father was an Orthodox priest, and uh, Nikola Tesla was a scientist. So he was trying to break away. Uh, his father wanted him to become uh, a priest as, as, as well. And uh, he was thinking that, that Edison is perhaps going to be a father figure that is finally going to understand him in the beginning. And then uh, uh, first Edison uh, refused Tesla's system. And second, he promised him that he's going to pay him $20,000 if he improved the direct current uh, motors that existed. And Tesla did, uh, producing a series of these motors that became a standards, standards later. But Edison did not give him the promised money, and he told him that he did, does not understand the American sense of humor. And that was kind of the end of the relationship between the two men. Hmm. And then they went on, of course, to be rivals. 
Uh, they tend to be rivals, but I think that they probably met later a couple of times and just behaved politely toward each other. But that was the the end of the cooperation. There's a there's a passage in the, that I was tickled by in chapter thirty five. Gives indication you're, you're you're getting to Edison's mind what maybe what he thought of Tesla, and uh, you, you say that. Uh, that that Edison teases Tesla. He says, "I can't find your hometown on a map of the civilized world." And then Tesla responds. <laughs> Tesla responds. You mean the one which uh, you know uh, Edison's hometown is marked in gold letters? It's kind of a polite, a polite response, but it, but a good comeback. Yeah, it was Milan, Ohio. Mm-hmm. I think that um, that some of that exchange happened. I think that I invented the second part, but the first part. Edison okay. Said. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so I don't know what. Uh, how was how was Tesla viewed? Not, not only by Edison, he's you know he's a young Serbian man, and he's lived in other places, Paris and other places, right? And then then he becomes famous, but I don't know whether he's accepted as as American. Is he is he always viewed as sort of foreign? What uh, how was he viewed? I be, I, no no no. He was he was certainly accepted as an American, not just an American, but an upper class American at the time. So many people, including Mark Twain and many other dignitaries, Ignaz Pederewski, who became um, uh, a president of Poland later, and so many others, John Muir, you know, the, the famous environmentalist. And uh, the list is kind of endless. These people would come to Tesla's lab as to Alibaba's cave. And uh, because at that moment, people still believe that the inventors are going to offer us a much better world. And that was universally um, shared belief in progress that kind of was compromised by the horrors of World War One and World War Two. I'm not sure that we today believe in, in the inventors so completely as the people back then. So he was seen as an American, American great inventor. And uh, I think that with him, we have a... Uh, we have a, a case of multiple belonging, because many people actually claim Tesla. Um, he was a Serbian, you know, because his father was a Serbian Orthodox priest. He came from Croatia, and Croats also like to to to, to be proud about him. Then the the country from which he came was an Austria-Hungary, so you can you can say that it was the framework from which which he came. He lived in Budapest. He lived in Paris, but uh, most of his life. He lived in the United States. He loved America, and he loved New York City. He really, from 1880s until 1943, he witnessed the great changes of the New York City, and I think that he identified with the city a lot. We'll get into uh, a little bit of his boyhood and and his later years. Interesting, he 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 died in poverty. Lived in the New Yorker Hotel. I want to get into that a little later. By the way, we're talking with Vladimir Pistolo. His biographical novel. It's it's a great read. It's called Tesla: A Portrait with Masks. Covers the arc of Tesla's life from his boyhood in Serbia to the War of Currents with Thomas Edison and to his later years there in uh, New York. And if you'd like to join us here, you can certainly do that at one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. Tesla, of course, uh, the inventor of alternating current, which we use today. Also the inventor of uh, wireless communication and remote control and many other inventions. You can join us uh, by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, and you can join us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Uh, So I want to uh, read, I I went, I got wondering why the the, uh, founders of the Tesla motor car company Elon Musk came on later, why they named it after Tesla. And, and that got me into a little article here, which took me to the, a plaque 
which is on the New Yorker uh, Hotel, at least it was. Uh, so it says, here died on January 7th, 1943, at the age of 87, the great Yugoslav-American scientist inventor Nikola Tesla, whose discoveries in the field of alternating electric current advanced the United States and the rest of the world into the modern industrial era. That got me thinking about what you just said uh, about, uh, you know, the, the famous figures mean different things as we go along. At least at this point, he was kind of being connected to advancement of the United States and the world. Yes, I think that's objectively true. I think that the people from the Tesla company, and I'm actually grateful to them because just by the by by the them existing and that car being around, the awareness of Tesla increased. But I think that so many I, I hear, I have been told that many people in the computer industry, maybe invent many inventive people, identify with Tesla because that is kind of that that loner, that loner genius who was standing against the system and winning with his visions, almost winning against the matrix, something like that. Mm -hmm. So I was, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite uh, uh, happy that 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 it is uh, 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 like that. Uh, I also want to add something. Yes. I think that Tesla was never totally unknown because there is, a, there is a cult of Tesla and it never died. And it is kind of, I think, uh, going on strongly because I travel a lot to Europe and here. And in a number of places, they are thinking about erecting the statues to Tesla from Prague. Actually, the, he also lived there. The, 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 the statue was elected to Budapest, to one in the New Yorker hotel, to, the, to, to Canada. And um, when I was in school, you know, like you had certain books that you had on your desk, but you were having sometimes other books uh, under the desk that you really cared about and that you read yourself. And I think that the Tesla's fame was of this second uh, type, that something that the school doesn't tell you to do, but you do it because your heart draws you there. And that's not such a bad status, I guess. What do you think Tesla would think of uh, today's world? His, uh, obviously, his, several of his inventions are very integral to, to daily life. What do you think he would think? I think that he would have been impressed by many of these things. I think that he would have uh, recognized some of some of uh, the inventions, especially this revolution that uh, we have with cell phones and iPads, and in uh, that every one of us today has an encyclop encyclopedia in the library in our room. You can access so many information. I think that he would thrive on that, but I think that he would be frightened by by the destruction of the environment. He was even 100 years ago, and I think that he would have said, I told you so, this has to stop, this This has to change. Mm -hmm. Maybe he would decipher that uh, his, his system, and uh, we could benefit from it. That, that, that would be the best, yeah. the best possible outcome, yeah. I guess. Um, I wonder, he, he is known as an early archetype of the mad scientist. That's one of the least stereotypes of Tesla. I, uh, uh, he was a man who uh, created lightning. You know, gods create lightning. He was the only human being who created lightning. He also created earthquakes, which has been documented. And he was a man who lived without, without love. And I think that maybe it is easier for, for us today to, to suspend our disbelief about creating lightning than that uh, somebody really lived with, without love. Because without love, all the people, all the human faces turn into masks. And that's why uh, the, the novel is called Tesla Portrait with, with Masks. 
The uh, the early Frankenstein movie apparently has a Tesla connection. You're right. There was even uh, some um, movie in the 1945 in which some evil scientist was called Tesla. Oh, really? But Tesla loved the Frankenstein movies because in the Frankenstein movies you have the Tesla coils, and we know that the creators of the movies deliberately used the Tesla's, Tesla's coils, and they create life. They actually um, uh, breathe the, the, the breath of life into Frankenstein, and Tesla's favorite movie was The Bride of Frankenstein. Because uh, he, I, I think that he was impressed, and I told you that he never had a love affair uh, in his life that has been documented. And I think that he enjoyed in that idea that you can uh, create a woman to yourself out of electricity. Interesting. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's take another break. We'll come back with uh, Vladimir Pistolo. Uh, his biographical novel is now translated into English. It's Tesla, A Portrait with Mask. Of course, we're talking about the great inventor, Nikola Tesla. He produced uh, Alternating Current, won the Battle of the Currents against Thomas Edison. He's also known as the inventor of wireless communication, remote control, many other inventions which we use routinely today. We'll talk more about him following this break. What do public radio listeners really care about? Cats. Forget news headlines, deep think, arts, culture, and all the rest. What do you actually click on, watch, and share? Cat videos. So this week, we're putting cats on the radio. On to the best of our knowledge from PRI. Sunday morning at 9 on Utah Public Radio. UPR listeners are company presidents, board members, partners, and other top executives. Your company can talk directly to these decision makers with program sponsorship. For more information, call Terry Guy at 435-797-3215. And programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the USU Partners in Business Leadership Conference. Presenting keynote speaker Jonathan Johnson, chairman and former CEO of Overstock.com, this Thursday, March 26th, at the USU Eccles Conference Center. Details at partners.usu/edu. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We have another 10 minutes left. You can join us at 1-800-826-1495. We're on email at upraxcess at gmail.com. And on Twitter, at Utah Public Radio, my guest for the hour is Vladimir Pistolo. His biographical novel is Tesla, A Portrait with Masks. Covers the arc of Tesla's life, the great inventor who invented alternating current, wireless communication, remote control, and many other inventions. And uh, that is uh, now out available in uh, English uh, translation. Vladimir Pistolo has published 11 books of fiction. He teaches at Becker College in Massachusetts. I want to go back to uh, his boyhood in, uh, I guess, what is now uh, Croatia, a small town. Tell me first about uh, Tesla's father, fascinating character in his own right, Serbian Orthodox priest. Uh, Tesla's father, uh, many people uh, who read Tesla's biographies saw Tesla's father as a kind of a negative character, which he wasn't. He was just thinking he was a very spiritual man, and he comes from a spiritual family from both sides. There was uh, a 36th priest uh, 
in uh, in his on his mother's side, and his father was also uh, a priest, and he wanted the the kid, young Nikola Tesla, to become uh, to become a priest, and he was an um, educated man. Um, uh, he was uh, a mathematician also. He was thinking about uh, becoming uh, an officer before, and he went through the military academy part-time, and then he decided to become a priest. So he was an educator, and, and he was a man of enlightening, and he just wanted uh, his son to become a, a religious figure like him. But Tesla, from early on, had, a, uh, had really a calling for science, and he was thinking that his father is going to squish his soul by trying to help him. And uh, that's kind of an old story that the desire of the parent is not necessarily a desire of a, of a, of a child. And finally, there is an interesting story that Tesla was sick with cholera and that he almost died and that uh, uh, his father sat at his deathbed and he told him, listen, do whatever you want. Go wherever you want, study whatever you want, go to Graz, become an engineer. And Tesla, dying, dying Nikola Tesla, opened his eyes and he said, really? And his father said, really? And he said, okay. And he almost literally came from the other side and decided to leave. And that's how strong uh, that drive to invent and uh, orientation towards science was in Tesla. But he never turned his back on, on that spiritual essence that was so present in his family. Hmm. We have a, a caller, Carl in St. George. Carl, glad you joined the program. Go ahead with your question or comment. Thank you. Good morning, gentlemen. <clears throat> There's a... Uh... We heard a lot about AC current this morning versus DC or direct current. There's a huge power plant in west central Utah. I think it's a 1,200 megawatt plant. And it generates electricity and sends it to customers in southern California, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power and and the population down there. That 500,000-volt line that carries power from west-central Utah to southern California is a DC line. Now, heretofore, these lines have been AC lines, but now they find that DC over these long distances is more efficient. I'd like you to comment on that. Interesting. Mr. Pistolo. I could not comment on that. I don't know whether some kind of tra- transformation is going to be done on the way. And uh, I uh, was, when it, when it comes to uh, physics, I was just using the common knowledge about that. I'm not an engineer myself. And it was much more important to present Tesla as a character and uh, to present him from the inside than uh, to uh, um, answer all the scientific possibilities about that. Because what I was really trying to do, you know, like if when the character is happy, this, uh, uh, that reader also feels happy. Mm-hmm. If the character is down, then the reader feels down. And then it is not about Tesla, it becomes the, in, in a way about you. And I think that every literary character is a combination of the actual man, in this case Tesla, and the reader who is reading the book and who is investing his own experiences and his own emotions into that. Uh, thanks for the call, Carl. Maybe a, a transition movement a little more back to DC. I think, I think over long distances they find that direct current or the direct push of power is much more efficient than the alternating back and forth. There's less heat loss yeah. over long distances, and apparently that's not true for uh, short uh, short distances. Right. Right. Interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Thank appreciate, you. Appreciate that uh, contribution. Uh, so that, that interesting, what you were just saying, Mr. Pistolo, um, 
that uh, you, you believe it's a combination of uh, the, say, historical character test and this? I believe uh, for these things, you know, like yeah. whenever I had an un- unusual um, um, fact about science, I would sit and talk about that with with uh, my friends and acquaintances who are electrical engineers. So I doubled and triple triple checked all the facts that I was uh, using. But being uh, being an artist, it is like doing a portrait of a certain mm-hmm. person, you know, like and you could not you can cover important dimensions of the person, but not every one of them. So I would always go and triple check with with, with experts. Now, why did you decide to do this as a biographical novel and not a, not a straight biography? Because I don't think it is a biography. Because it, if, if the if the, novel, the biography is about the facts and uh, the 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 novel is about the echoes of the facts, as the great director Federico Fellini said, I'm not uh, writing about uh, I'm not uh, portraying. Uh, persons or events, um, I'm portraying my vision of these persons or, or, or events. And uh, I mean, uh, we don't think that the, the, the landscapes that Van Gogh painted are just important as they are, but there is a transformation through, the, through, through art. And I always think when we read a book, we, if the book is really worth its salt, we identify, it so, we identify so much with the main character that in a way we become that, that main character. It is as if somebody took us for a ride in a car and unexpectedly we find ourselves uh, at the wheel. That's how the, the real art uh, works uh, when you talk about the novel. While the biography is just telling you the stories, story from the outside about the facts. What do you come away with that you uh, uh, your turn at the wheel, say, <laughs> driving the car, living with Tesla for for the time uh, writing this book? How, what do you come away with? I was uh, it it was eight years. I was doing research and uh, and writing every day, both for eight years. And I think that in the beginning I had a, I had a kind of a little bit of apprehension because that character means so much to so many people, and of course they are going to to look for the inconsistencies, and I expected to face much more criticism than I actually did, and I think that you kind of lose that fear and strangeness as you as you work on on, on that for eight years, and then you kind of identify with the character much more closely, which hopefully shows in the novel. We just have a couple minutes left, and I, I haven't talked about one, one of the most important, the most interesting, I don't know, stories, storylines in this, and, and that is the effect of the death of Tesla's brother, Danilo. He, he was, in a sense, haunted by, by his brother. He absolutely was. He was, because in his family it was considered that his brother, Danilo Tesla, was everything that uh, Nikola could aspire to. And he was older, he was a teenager when Tesla was a boy, and he was considered brilliant, and he was considered beautiful. And there was kind of an indication that, and he died tragically. There are two versions about that, that the horse kicked him, and that he fell down the stairs, and that maybe he accused Nikola of pushing him. We would never know whether he was guilty in any way in the death of his brother, but we do know that he was almost living in the shadow of his brother as he was, as if he was some phantom twin that he was uh, holding by the hand throughout his life. And even at the, at the, when he was on the top of the world, when he made an, a Niagara power plant, when he was universally um, uh, respected, it was always done a 
with him and the idea that Dana maybe could have done something even better or the guilt that he felt about his death. Uh, tell me about, uh, briefly, his, his final years there. He lives in poverty, the New Yorker Hotel. That hotel now has a plaque on it. But at those times, I guess his fame had kind of waned a bit. What? Uh, tell me about those years. He was um, um, he uh, had problems paying for the hotels, and uh, he was living in Waldorf Astoria, which was the best hotel in the world for eighteen years. Then he changed a couple of them, and fin- finally, of course, the biggest blow to him was the, the Great Crisis of nineteen twenty nine, because he lost his uh, lab back then. And then uh, the Yugoslav government back then, what is Serbia and Croatia used to be one country, Yugoslavia, decided that out of the respect for the venerable old man, they are going to pay for his hotel. So he was in his hotel, and apparently he had fantasies that he was uh, uh, visited by the people uh, long gone. So he believed that he met Mark Twain and that they were talking in his um, room. And he also was a lifelong lover of pigeons whether they were the symbols of spirit or whether he just liked the birds. And he had a lot of problems with the hotel managers because he was caring for the sick birds and he was feeding them. So imagine that old man under the clouds in that very old old hotel and tall living with ghosts and pigeons. I was quite haunted by that image before I even started writing the song. Yeah, that, that is a haunting image. We do have another caller. Uh, we'll we'll uh, fit a uh, call in here. Justin and Logan, welcome to the program. Oh, hey, thank you. Um, I just had a question. I remember learning about Thomas Edison as early as first grade, but I didn't hear about Tesla until my junior year of high school uh, when learning physics. Why do you think there's the discrepancy in education about these two men? Well, I think we, we partly talked about that, that uh, there was an Edison company that was such a big li- part of the American life that it was an institution that was very popularized by a, by a concerted uh, campaign in the 1920s, while Tesla was a loner who was living a rather unusual life, and as the other people appeared to, to him as masks. He probably appeared to them as a mask, not as a real human being. So he was kind of left out of history. And I think that we are correcting that uh, a bit these days. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate that. And uh, and Vladimir Pistola, you, you do think Tesla is making a comeback in that way, we're t- learning about him, I guess, more? That is really my feeling. Not just. The, oh, by the way, I was I was very pleasantly surprised because my the first edition of my novel was sold out in the United States, and uh, it, it is being reprinted now. So apparently, there are people who are interested in this very very unusual man who created lightning, who lived uh, uh, without love, who was uh, at the top of the world at one moment at the toward the end of his life, living with ghosts and pigeons. There is something really mystical and interesting in, in the story about this. We'll leave it there. We're out of time. We have very much appreciated learning more about Nikola Tesla. The book is Tesla, A Portrait with Masks. The author is Vladimir Pistolo. Thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. And uh, coming up tomorrow, hope you'll join us as we talk with uh, Kara Whiteley. Uh, she, as, a, as an overweight woman, uh, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, and her book is called Gorge. Uh, talks about uh, the thrills of topping Mount Kilimanjaro and uh, the dark depths of food addiction. That's tomorrow on Access Utah. Hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening today.
Welcome to Wild About Utah, a Utah Public Radio production featuring contributors who share a love of nature, preservation, and education. Few among us would choose to eat a steak with a spoon or soup with a fork. And in the world of birds, it's the same story. You need the right tool for the right job. And you can tell a lot about a bird by paying attention to its beak. Physiologically, beaks are a specialized extension of the skull and are coated in keratin, the same material that makes up our fingernails. And like our fingernails, the cutting edges of the beak can be regrown as they are worn down by use. Birds use beaks for a multitude of tasks, including preening, weaving nests, and defending territories. However, it is the task of eating that seems to dictate beak shape and size. Envision the hummingbird, for instance. Its long, thin beak and corresponding tongue is designed to reach deep into flowers to collect the nectar within. A hummingbird beak would not work for a woodpecker or a great horned owl. Likewise, an eagle's beak needs to be sharp and strong for tearing flesh and wouldn't suit the lifestyle of an ibis or a sparrow. One Utah native, the aptly named crossbill, has one of the most unique beaks around. When closed, its curved top and bottom bills overlap crossways in what looks like an awkward and uncomfortable pose. French naturalist Count Buffon first laid eyes on a crossbill in the mid-1700s. The bird was collected in the Americas, then shipped abroad for examination. Without observing the crossbill in its natural habitat, Buffon labeled its beak an error and defect of nature and a useless deformity. More than 50 years later, Scottish-American naturalist Alexander Wilson observed a crossbill in the wild and determined that its beak deformity was in reality a magnificently adapted tool. The crossbill's diet consists mainly of the seeds of conifer trees, and it turns out that the bird's curiously crossed beak is perfectly adapted to prying apart the scales of pine cones to get at the seeds within. Members of the finch family, these birds are often seen in flocks, and occasionally visit backyard feeders. They are easily identified by their unique beaks, which serve as a reminder that the right tool for the right job can sometimes seem a bit unconventional. For the Stokes Nature Center and Wild About Utah, this is Andrea Liberator. Wild About Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. For transcripts and archived audio of Wild About Utah, go online to upr.org and click on the Wild About Utah link. Support for Wild About Utah on UPR is made possible in part by our listeners and the Quinney College of Natural Resources at Utah State University, where students and faculty promote the sustainability of ecosystems and the communities that depend on them. Information at cnr.usu.edu. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.